taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Welcome to a special edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is uh, this edition is uh, specifically for the uh, it is really for everyone, but specifically for uh, the folks at Westfield Baptist Church, uh, where we had an, uh, a uh, our Bible study last night. Uh, the, well, let me just go back and say our Bible study last night was cut short due to a severe thunderstorm that came across our area. Um, I was t- talking to my good friend uh, Curtis Avalo in uh, uh, in Montana, and he was we were asking about uh, he was asking about the hurricane that came through, and I told him that essentially we got more uh, with the storm that came through last last night on uh, August fifth than we even did from the hurricane that came up. In fact, we didn't get anything in our area. But uh, I wanted to go through and I wanted to redo uh, the Bible study for those of you who uh, were with us especially and for anyone who would like to join in. We, of course, encourage our regular listeners at the Bellator Christie Podcast to listen in for this as well as this is for everyone. Uh, that this is lesson 30 of our 31-part study through the book of Proverbs. And the title of the lesson is called A Comforting Life Perspective. And we're going to look at uh, the, the majority of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, recorded uh, by uh, perhaps himself or one of his, uh, one of his um, uh, workers, uh, hired hands, so to speak. Uh, so, so anyhow, uh, a lot of them were compiled uh, for not only his sons but for future generations, instilling the wisdom to future generations that God had given him, him through his life. Uh, there are two parts to this study. It's a very simple study tonight. We're going to first of all look at humbly looking to God for wisdom, and we see this in Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 9. And then our second section is thoughtfully looking at the world through the lens of God's wisdom, and we see this in Proverbs 30, verses 10 through 33. So we're going to be going through uh, this study tonight. We're going to first of all open up God's Word. Uh, we'll look first at uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1. And as this, these are the words of Agur, uh, the son of Jacob, his utterance, uh, verse 1, the man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eucal. So if you've been with us for the remainder of the journey through Proverbs, you noticed we, we, you'll note that we have been talking a lot about Solomon and about the wisdom that he passed on to his sons. This uh, chapters 30 and 31 of the book of Proverbs serves almost as an appendix to the work, to the main body of the work. These two chapters don't, don't come from Solomon, but additional writers of wisdom. Uh, we don't know much about Agur. Uh, some early Jewish interpreters believe that Agur may have been Solomon's court counselor, which is very possible. Uh, there's, there are probably good reasons for holding that to be true. Uh, but we, we can't say with any certainty who Agur was. 
The first verse is quite difficult to translate from the Hebrew text. Uh, some texts include the phrase, The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Uh, but other texts just include the phrase, The man's oration to Ithiel and Eucal. It's really difficult to translate um, this the, the the Hebrew in the passage and and here's the thing we have to remember that the that the Hebrew is a very old language. Uh, Greek is as well, but Hebrew especially is. And the farther you go back in history, the more difficult some passages of Scripture are to translate. So that just goes along with the territory. Ithiel and Eucal may have been the sons of Agur, and so this is who he to who, this is uh, who uh, to whom he's speaking in this text. Proverbs thirty verses two and four says two through four says, "Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man." I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? So Agur notes his ignorance when it comes to understanding the great wonders of the world. Even the, great, even the greatest understanding of humanity is lower than the least understanding of God. No one has the ability to understand as the Holy One does, in verse 3. In verse 4, Agur raises several rhetorical questions, illustrating the fact that humanity is greatly limited in its understanding. The first question relates to the one who has ascended to heaven and came down from the infallible. Uh, came down from heaven. This refers to the infallible nature of God's truth. Only God has such knowledge as that. The second question pertains to the one who gathers the wind in his fists and wraps waters in a garment. This relates to the power of God. So he's talking about already the attributes of God. He's talking about the uh, infallible nature of God's truth and his wisdom. He also talks about the power of God in the second question. So the third question is quite intriguing. Agur asks who God's son is. We would naturally say that Jesus is the Son of God because we are New Testament Christians. And that would be a true, of course. However, Agur is noting that no human being has the power and wisdom of God. So he's talking about the infallible nature of God. He's talking about the power of God. And he's talking about the wisdom of God through these three rhetorical questions. Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you should be found a liar. This proverb is extremely pertinent for us today. The great temptation is to add to God's word or to take away from God's word. Agur warns, uh, warns against doing either. God's word is flawless. Therefore, God's word becomes a shield for those who find refuge in him or to those who find refuge in him. If someone tries to add to God's word, God will, we see in verse 6, rebuke him or her and will be found a liar. Human wisdom is limited, but God's wisdom is limitless. You know, we especially in today's time need to understand this and realize this. For many times, 
when we, we pray to ask God to do something for us, to do this or that for us, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with asking God for, for things and asking God to come through on certain area, in certain areas. Uh, James tells us that we have not because we ask not. God wants us to ask Him for certain things in life. However, we, we need to understand that we, we often need to ask God, God, what can we do for you as well? We need to ask God how He could transform us and allow God to transform us to be the people that he wants us to be instead of trying to transform God to be who we want him to be. So in verses 7 through 9 we see this, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of, the, of my God. So Agur asks two things from the Lord. First, he asks that God would preserve him in truth and keep him from falsehoods. Secondly, Agur asks that God would provide him with his daily needs. The first question deals with truth regarding theology and philosophy. And all of us have a theology. All of us have a philosophy. And the question we must ask ourselves is, is whether or not our theology and philosophy is biblically centered if it's uh, matches if it matches so to speak the the wisdom of God or the the information that God gives us secondly the second question engages fair dealings and application of the truths that God provides him so he realizes that as God bestows this wisdom to him he needs to uh, be the person God calls him to be as far as discussion questions, uh, just contemplate these things and, and, and consider these issues. First of all, Agur looks to God in order to understand the world. He realizes that God holds ultimate wisdom and truth. How would we benefit by looking at the world through the lens of God's truth? Do we seek out God's wisdom in understanding the world? Why is it important to do so? So these are questions we must ask ourselves. ourselves. Secondly, we see verses 10 through 33 of chapter 30. And, and this is talk, talking about, in these passages, Agur talks about looking at the world through the lens of God. And we need that a lot in today's time. Proverbs 30 verse 10 says, Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. Verses 10 through 33 offers some of Agur's evaluations uh, of his view of the world through a God-sized lens, uh, looking at the world through the wisdom of God. Verse 10 provides advice relating to the relationship of servant with master. If you falsely, I mean in today's time we could talk about falsely uh, accusing an employee to an employer. If you falsely slander a servant to his master or to his employer, you will be cursed and be found guilty. I think Agur's point in all of this is to is is to is is basically this don't meddle in another person's affairs or you will be the one who's targeted and i've had several friends who've been in law enforcement and they've told me that one of the most dangerous things one of the most dangerous places you can go is whenever there is a marital dispute because the husband may be mean and ugly to the wife and they go in there and they try to help the wife but then she automatically turns and, and turns on the officers and begins hitting them so in like manner, sometimes if we meddle in other people's business, 
in places where we don't need to be, we may find that we become the target in that regard. Verses 11 through 14 state this, There's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from from off the earth and the needy from among men. Agur lists four loathsome people in verses 11 through 14. The CSB distinguishes these categories by the term generations. Uh, the first group of people, the first generation, the first group are those who dishonor their parents in verse 11. Uh, the Bible says a lot of bad things about dishonoring one's parents. In fact, uh, it's an honorable thing. One of the great commandments, uh, one of the Ten Commandments tells us that we need to honor our fathers and our mothers. And that's something, quite frankly, I don't know that we do the way we should in today's time. And I thank the Lord for my parents who've been wonderful to me. The second group are hypocrites of whom con- of who, uh, who condemn the bad in others but fail to see their own faults. This is the person uh, that Jesus addresses when he says that, that, they, uh, that they try to remove the splinter out of someone else's eye while, while not removing the log that is, in, that is in their own eye. And so uh, that's a problem, and Agur sees this as a problem as well. The third group refers to the arrogant who views, uh, who view one's, views oneself as superior to all other individuals. And this is a, a loathsome thing, Agur says. And then the last group refers to the violent, those who gain satisfaction for the, for the oppression of others. There's just some mean people out in the world, if you really stop to think about it. There are some people who get their thrills out of seeing someone else suffer. You know, because if they didn't enjoy doing it, then they wouldn't do what they what they do. And these are, as Agur says, very loathsome individuals, very loathsome things to do. So, verses 15 through 17 state this, The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three uh, things that ne- are never satisfied, four never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. So Agur provides a number of illustrations addressing greedy individuals. First, Agur compares the greedy to the two suckers, two suckers on a leech. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Uh, this refers to a parent who has children who always want something and are never satisfied. They're always coming saying, Mom, Dad, I need this or I need that, but, but they never cease. Uh, the children are shown to be, in this regard, uh, according to Agur, greedy leeches in this aspect. Second, Agur notes the four things that are never satisfied. Death never stops taking people. The barren womb never stops depriving the parents of a child. The land never stops wanting water, and fire never ceases to want and desire to have fuel. Uh, these are four things that are never satisfied. So verse 17 connects this together and notes the, res- the respect that one's parents has is very important. Uh, eyes that mock and mouths that scorn are met with judgment. And tying this all together, he is saying that these things, that God will not allow these sins to go unpunished. Uh, while there's a desire for more and more and more in these aspects, uh, God has a way of uh, taking care of situations like that. 
Verses 18 through 20 state that there are three things which are too wonderful for me, yes, four which I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She uh, eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. So Agur describes four things that, are, that absolutely amaze him, that astonish him to no end. The way of, a, of an eagle. How is it that an eagle soars so high without hardly moving its wings? Uh, I shared last night this amazing thing to consider that uh, uh, due to uh, aeronautics and, and, the, uh, um, and, and the, the physical laws that God has created, it's an amazing thing how we can take thousands of pounds of metal and see it fly in the air. I mean, that really, if you stop to think about it, that baffles the imagination. We saw a uh, carrier uh, plane uh, that um, uh, was a C-100 maybe or something like that, I think maybe. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a carrier plane. That thing had to weigh thousands and thousands of pounds, but yet it was flying, soaring over top of the trees. It's really something amazing to stop and consider if you still really think about it. Number two, a snake on a rock. Um, oh, excuse me. Phone's ringing. I'll, I'll call that. I'll call that person back here in a minute. Um, the snake on a rock. The ability of a snake to slither through, although it has no legs. This is something that absolutely amazed. Uh, this is something that absolutely amazed Agur. Number three, a ship gliding across the water. The ability of ships to sail. This is an amazing thing to really stop and consider. And lastly, the mystery of immorality. How is it that a couple can commit adultery without uh, without uh, any conviction? The woman in this proverb doesn't care who knows her deed. She only holds nothing but moral indifference. Agur is amazed by these things because he fails to realize how they come to be. And, he's, and it's something that is a wonder to him. Proverbs 30 verses 21 through 23 state, The earth trembles under three things. It cannot bear up under four. A servant when he becomes king. A fool when he is stuffed with food. An unloved woman when she marries. And a servant girl when she ousts her queen. Agur mentions four people that cause great strain to others. Firstly, an unworthy servant who assumes the role of a king, to rule as a king. This is something that, uh, that it causes great strain upon the kingdom because he may not be one uh, who uh, is, is called to do that thing and may not be right for the kingdom. Secondly, the fool with a full stomach. The fool will become even more insufferable to those around him. Thirdly, an unloved woman who finally finds love. If she does not resolve her deep hurts, she will bring that hurt to her newly found relationship. Um, and lastly, a maid who replaces her, her hired mistress without proper training. She will not know how to lead and be efficient in her duties. So these are four things that are uh, that Agur says causes a great strain. So verses 24 through 28, Agur continues with his lists. He's, the lists of four. He says, Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are not a strong people, yet they store up food in the summer. Hydraxes, which are rock badgers, are not mighty people, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. Locusts have no king, yet all of them march in ranks. And a lizard can be caught in your hands, yet it lives in king's palaces. The ant, although they are weak in comparison with man, are able to still lift enough to store food for their colony. Quite honestly, 
the ant is one of the strongest species of animals on the earth. If, if you compare them pound for pound with other creatures, the amount of weight that they lift upon their shoulders to carry to their colonies would be comparable to a person carrying about five buses upon their backs, uh, to school buses on their backs to, to their home. That's the type of strength we're talking about. And this is something that amazes Agur as he, as he considers the ant. The rock badger, although otherwise called the hydrax, although they do not have the engineering capacity of human beings, they still build their homes in the cliffs of the rocks. They find places of refuge. The locust, although they don't have an apparent leader, they're able to fly in formation with a great degree of skill. They are able to cooperate, ironically, better than many people are. And isn't that an amazing thing to consider? That these little bugs, these little insects, are able to come together and unite, and, and, uh, and, and they, man, if you have enough of them, they can destroy an entire crop uh, whenever they come down upon certain areas. And lastly, the lizard. While a person can hold a lizard in their hand, yet this lizard is able to travel anywhere he pleases. They can even travel in places where many people cannot. For instance, they can attain great status. Although they are humble, they may even crawl into the king's palace, whereas many other people could not. These four things are things that amaze Agur to no end. Verses 29 through 31 state, here again is another listing of four. If, you, if three things are stately in their stride, four are stately in their walk. A lion, which is the mightiest among beasts and doesn't retreat before anything. A strutting rooster, a goat, and a king at the head of, an, of his army. Agu compares four things of power. The lion, he doesn't back up to, for anything or any creature. He demonstrates his great power. The strutting rooster... The, the strut of this rooster makes you think that he is some type of royalty because of the way he struts and prances around. The male goat possesses an aggressive front to demonstrate control as he headbutts things in his way. And lastly, the king possesses an army to display his power, pomp, and aggressiveness. Uh, these are four mighty things of power uh, that Agur sees, but nothing compared to the power of God. Verses 32 through 33. If you have been, and this will conclude our study tonight, as we'll look at a discussion question and, a, and, our, and our final conclusion and applications. Uh, verses 32 through 33 says, If you have been foolish by exalting yourself, or if you've been scheming, put your hand over your mouth. For the churning of milk produces butter, and the twisting of a nose draws blood, and a stirring up of anger produces strife. A foolish person will portray himself to be something that he's not. And so here again you have a list that he uh, presents, Agur presents. I like Agur. He likes lists, and I, I like lists. <laughs> a foolish person will portray himself to be something that he's not, as we mentioned. The key is to stop falsely creating oneself by placing one's hand over their mouth uh, before disaster strikes. So in other words, sometimes it's, it's better to learn when to be quiet. And that is something that's difficult uh, you know, to, to learn. And uh, uh, If you've been exalting yourself or scheming, things of this nature, it's better, he says, put your hand over your mouth and stop scheming because God will rectify all things in the end. If you churn, literally twist milk, to get, you'll get butter. Okay? What he's basically saying is you reap what you sow. If you twist, um, uh, if you press or twist anger, you'll get strife. 
Okay, so if you twist a person's nose, uh, you'll get a bloody nose. If you twist anger, you'll get strife. Just as churn milk produces milk produces butter, and a twisted nose becomes bloody, so provoking an angry person will produce a hotbed of controversy. And wow, can we not learn a lot from Agur in today's time? Sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm even learning now that sometimes a response to a Facebook page may not be something I need to do. I have to ask myself a question. Is it going to be worth the controversy that it, that stems out of my comment if I should post a comment on the social media? But it's not only there. It's, it's true of life. Um, you know, I, I think we really, as, as Christians, need to be careful about the witness that we present. For instance, it was the other day that uh, I was in. My wife and I was in a restaurant and uh, came back from a, from a funeral, and um, and we we met a lady there who uh, uh, was uh, had 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 a hard day, and uh, she had been um, she had been quite frankly um, she'd met people who'd been very hostile to her, and we were the only nice people she met. And you know, uh, we had a good conversation. My wife even mentioned talking about the blessings of God and how, um, you know, that there were a lot of people that were stressed and strained and, and just uh, going through a lot of difficulties right now. And and um, but we needed to you know to just uh, depend on God for the blessings of life. And we, we'll never know how much good came out of that conversation. Beloved people, watch us. We may be the only Bible some people ever read. I know it's cliche. But it's true. We may be the only Bible some people ever read. And so we need to be careful about the witness that we present. And obviously, we don't need to uh, be the ones to consistently bring about controversy. Uh, we need to try to, as the Bible says, live at peace, live in peace with everyone as much as depends on us. So as a discussion question, Agur asked God for two things before he died. If you could ask God for two things before you died, what would they be? What would you ask God if you could ask God for anything right now uh, before you were before your soul is required of you? What would you ask of God? Let's close with this, and we'll give a few applications. William Phelps taught English literature at Yale for 41 years until his retirement in 1933. Grading an exam shortly before Christmas, Phelps came across the following note by one of his students. It says, the Lord only knows the answer to this question, Merry Christmas. Dr. Phelps responded with a note of his own that read, The Lord gets an A, you get an F. Happy New Year. The source of wisdom and the source of knowledge are found in the one and same person, God Almighty. The more we examine the universe and all of its grandeur, the more we should see the uh, even greater grandeur and wonder of God Almighty. So let me leave you with three applications. Number one, never cease exalting God because His grandeur is unreachable. Number two, God's truth is infallible and thereby always true. Number three, when we exalt ourselves, we can expect it to eventually backfire. So may we be people that don't seek to glorify ourselves, but glorify God, and in the end we'll be blessed for it. 
Well, this is Pastor Brian Chilton, hoping you've gotten a little something out of this Bible study today. Uh, Our next lesson will be our final lesson in the book of Proverbs, the grand finale as we look at the wisdom of two women, and we'll conclude this study. So again, we want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember to uh, always look to God for wisdom and depend upon His wisdom in life. So again, this is Pastor Brian Chilton saying God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. God bless you. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.